Welcome all to the Men of Sorrows Finding Joy podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow. Our podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. Although it is directed toward men, all are welcome to tune in and participate. Today I sit down with Michael Hicks. Michael lost his son, McCoy. McCoy took his own life while serving in the Navy, February 11th, 2019. Michael and his family turned their deep grief into helping veterans in very profound and practical ways. It was a privilege to sit with Michael as we discussed our pain, eternal life, future hope, and the present force of good Hicks Strong has become. My hope is that Hicks Strong continues to grow and we all find ways to support and network with this beautiful family. Here's my conversation with Michael. All right, Michael, I want to thank you again for for joining the Men of Sorrows podcast. And like we were saying before we got on on the audio that I'm really sorry for the loss of your son. I love how you and your family kind of thought outside the box and and what you're doing is a, a valuable, valuable service. So why don't you give the listeners a little background information, a biographical sketch, and um, just your story and your family story. Well, my my name is Michael Hicks, one of the co-founders of Hicks Strong with my wife and my daughter. And uh, let's see, biographical for me. Um, I'll save Hicks Strong for later. So I, I mean, I grew up in a small town, met my wife there, uh, which we became high school sweethearts. When our son came into our lives was a total surprise. Um, and it's kind of funny because my, my wife, before she was my wife, she came into my room to visit. And she's like, uh, hey, Mike, uh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, okay, can I go back to sleep? <laughs> and um, we've, been, we've been together ever since. Um, yeah. It's been a roller coaster up and down. McCoy came into this world saving our lives. He then brought us to Jesus and um, we haven't looked back since. And uh, in his passing, he's been saving lives as well uh, yeah. with the direction and guidance that, uh, that we've, that we're under. Yeah. Now, when you say that McCoy brought you to Jesus, was it when he was born and you said, how am I going to raise this child? I need help. Or was it something? No, that- no, that, that's how he saved our lives. He saved us from we were going in a in a downward spiral, yeah. uh, youthful teens, you know, mm-hmm. not yeah. knowing what we were doing. So, in a way, in an essence, he pulled us out of that gutter. Um, yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until eighth grade when he uh, started dating a pastor's daughter, <laughs> and yeah. he's like, "You guys got to come to church. You guys got to come to church. You guys got to come to church." And we were like, "No, no." And then we finally we finally did, and we they became our family and um, it's, it's been a journey ever since. Uh, yeah. You grow up fast when you, if, when you become a parent, it'll, it changes you <laughs> overnight. You know, it really For does. Real. Um, For as many books as there are out there, there's no real book. <laughs> no, <to guide> <laughs> I know you're right. I think I was, I think it was at a Bruce Springsteen concert and he said that 
becoming a parent is the greatest paradox of feelings that you can have at one time. You're so excited, you're so overwhelmed, so full of joy, and yet now all these new fears come crashing in. How am I going to protect this baby? How am I going to raise it? You know, how am yeah. I going to keep it from harm? And it really is true. And even, you know, when my son died, one of the things my grief counselor said, he said, because I was, you know, blaming myself. He said, you always, no matter how old your kids are, you always see them in diapers. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so, yeah, you guys... You grew up there, and McCoy grew up in Half Moon or that area. Uh, no, I uh, well initially, so it's kind of happened. We had a quick turnaround there. So after McCoy was born, um, my I started. I was doing work, you know, just like movie theaters, gas stations. Mm -hmm. My aunt kind of drove me to go to college. Uh, so she connected me with a recruiter for Devry, and I ended up going to Columbus, Ohio, uh, DeVry University in Columbus, Ohio. At the time, I was when the recruiter told me Columbus, I thought it was New Jersey, someplace in New Jersey, because uh -huh. I was going to commute, because I live in New York. So I was yeah. like, oh, I can commute. So we got it all solidified and set in place. And next thing you know, he's like, yeah, so I got you an apartment in this lady's house. Uh, to You can rent a room. Um, it's going to be super cheap. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, it's in Ohio. And I'm like, Ohio? Where's Ohio? Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. So a week later, I was on a bus. My wife was here with our with McCoy. He was, I want to say, seven months old. And I was out to Ohio by myself to start school. And uh, we were out there for the duration of school. We had several losses in the family. My father, her grandfather, um, and her grandmother, or I'm sorry, her aunt. And because of that travel, I didn't get picked up on an internship. So we made the trek back to New York. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been here ever since. And then, uh, you know, I went to school for programming and uh, I, I did, I didn't end up in programming, but I ended up in audio video. Mm -hmm. uh, so I designed AV systems for the last 11 years until November of last year, where I resigned to do Hick Strong full time. So yeah, Ohio's a lot lot different than New Jersey. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then when did when did McCoy make the decision to go into the service? So high school, his high school years were a little rough. His high school year was a rough rough mm -hmm. year. Uh, senior year, I'm sorry. Um, he he wanted to go left, prodigal son, and uh -huh. he wanted him to go right. So it was creating you know parental turmoil, if you will. He had to make a decision. He, he, he couldn't remain going in the wrong direction yeah. and staying there, or he had to move out, get a job. We'd help with that, um, or military. So he landed in on military. His initial pick was Air Force, and then he went to a Navy recruiter, and then he felt like he couldn't go back to the Air Force recruiter. I'm like, why not? Just go back. And yeah. So he ended up in the Navy. There's a lot of banter between all the branches, because oh, yeah. that was very similar. Liam was going to go in the Air Force because he had a, a pastor. His youth pastor was retired military and was an Air Force guy. And Liam was part of the Civil Air Patrol. McCoy that, was too. Yeah, isn't that cool? So yeah. he, I always thought Air Force. And he got a scholarship to a local college. 
And he called me one day, he goes, I don't like going to college. He goes, I want to go active. I said, all right, did you talk to the Air Force recruiter? He said, no, I'm going in the Marines. I said, oh, I thought you were going in the Air Force. So he goes, nah, the Marines are the best dad. So on and on. So then as he was in the pool and getting ready to go to boot camp, somebody else asked him and he already learned, he learned this from being around the other Marines. They said, how come he didn't go in the Air Force? He said, because I wanted to go in the military. <laughs> uh, the jokes never end. It's, uh, it's yeah, hilarious. It is. There was all that. And when Liam got out, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't active when he took his life. When he got out, he met a girl at church. His fiance it became his fiance. Her dad was a Navy guy, and you could hear them two go back and forth all the time. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and it was real. I I heard on the um, leftover pieces that McCoy had the the duty at the cemetery, the national cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, he um, that was right out of boot camp. He was selected for the ceremonial guard, <clears throat> um, which for the army, every branch has their honor guard, if you will. Uh, but they do the for the ceremonial guard. They're essentially the face of the navy, so they're they do all of the um, presidential things. Um, you know, when they're standing at the f- baseball fields and stuff like that, or parades. Um, but also the burial services, which is what McCoy was doing when he first mm-hmm. got there. So that in and of itself, the training for that is super hard, like super, super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, where the smallest piece of lint would be a fail and you'd have to start over. Um, yeah. So when he, when he passed in, I was super happy, super happy for him um, because I know what that feat was for him. It was huge. But unfortunately, you know, his first duty um, with when you're in the ceremonial guard, when you do a burial service or uh, when you when uh, fallen soldiers are coming back stateside, those are considered missions or Mm -hmm. deployments as a ceremonial guardsman. So the first mission he had was the USS Fitzgerald, uh, which the seven sailors passed away in that collision. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had to stand tight and, you know, honor and respect the fallen. And, uh, but it was super hard for him. Uh, unfortunately, I think it triggered PTSD in him because um, mm-hmm. he was super empathetic. So to hold those, those emotions in was, was a lot. And so he called us that night after and uh, in the shower crying, uh, like I can't get their screams out of my head. And I, I don't think he did. Um, I don't think he was able to. He took a lot of pride in that duty. I, I saw them at my my grandfather's and my dad's, Liam's, and a couple other funerals. They have to be meticulous in what they do, even in the steps, how they fold the flag. Yep. And they have to hold it together because people are are wailing. I know I was wailing, you know, at Liam's graveside. Now, now was, was McCoy on the ship when it happened or... So the situations talk as much as you're comfortable, but if you want to tell uh, the story and it's, yeah, it's, it's out there. Um, So he was active duty. Uh, He, at the time he was done with the ceremonial guards and he was transferred to the USS Nimitz, uh, which was dry docked in Washington uh, at Bremerton. 
he was serving there and my wife and I were at a Bible study. Actually, all three of us were at a Bible study. We were going to fly out to visit him. And he had taken leave off to be able to see with us, spend time with us. Um, it was approved. The night before we were at the Bible study, we got a call from him and he tells us he's on his way to the brig because his chain of command, he believed that they weren't going to allow him to see us, mm-hmm. even though he had it approved uh, and he lost it. And they threw him in the brig for ins- insubordination for 25 days. That was the day before we were flying out. <clears throat> so we flew out anyway, landed and apparently brought a 12 inch snowstorm, which rarely ever happens in Washington. So state, Washington state, I should say. So getting a hold of the base and people, we were trying all weekend to get them on the phone. We got someone on Monday morning. We were literally 16 miles away from him. And Monday morning, we thought we got through to somebody uh, that was gonna help us even talk to him. And we get a call at 6.30 Monday morning or Monday night uh, Pacific time because they couldn't travel to us because of the snow and to tell us that they found McCoy hanging in a cell uh, Mm -hmm. on Monday morning. And we were just wrecked. We were just shattered. Something broke in us. uh, Yes. That that I can't really put words to. um, But... uh, for me, it's real and it isn't real. It, it's you can't. It's a. It's like a train smashing into your soul. You know. It's, it's, yeah. And yeah. going through it. That was the call. You know what I noticed for me? I got the call from the detective around four or five, between four and five o'clock. Um, still, every once in a while, it still happens. Where right about that time of day, if I'm not paying attention. I feel like someone punched me in the gut because that's mm. the PTSD because my body's gearing up for that again. I remember it happening quite a bit. And my, my counselor, he said, we figured it out. Yeah. So from there, you, there, you have to go one day at a time. And yeah. what, what, but, what kind of things helped you navigate through that? Well, while we were still out there, um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law flew out. <clears throat> to be with us because we were meeting with the Navy and they're asking us to answer questions, like fill out paperwork. And I'm like, I'm not processing. Like the world is moving, but I'm not like, and uh, yes. so they were there to help us. So that was huge. Uh, Cause in that fog, they, they were able to step in and we were able to keep a chronological list of who we talked to, what their contact info was, where all the details we were able to keep it all chronological for record keeping because and um even though we uh had a case against them the 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 u.s navy and the, the army brig because they failed to follow procedures uh as well as in our opinion uh his the the psychologist or whoever they were he was seeing on the ship blatantly ignored his paperwork and um, there's ultimately no reason for him to not be here. That's that, that must be tough. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, then unfortunately for us, you know, the Navy 
is has denied our case and denied our appeal, basing it off of where his treatment was, was not on a medical facility. So we can't claim medical malpractice, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous. Uh, they just, yeah. they wrote these laws to say, well, we're going to help our soldiers and their families only to cut out thousands and thousands and thousands of people from getting justice. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been a struggle. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure it is. But but as far as as far as like the grief and dealing with all of that and and, and what's helped, um, I think you know the family members and friends that it, that it maintain communication and contact with us aren't aren't afraid to have conversations about our child about McCoy. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, are, are willing to laugh about you know the silliness that he had and that yeah. he was the bright light that he was. Um, yeah, do you that, that helps. Do you find that people are like maybe afraid or they don't know whether they should bring McCoy up or not? I, like, I think I'll, that I'll talk at the drop of the hat about Liam now. I'll drop yeah. the hat, you know? So do you find that the people are it's, gun shy? I think, I think initially, yes. Uh, especially if people know how he, he passed. Um, I think it's the stigma the stigma buildup mm-hmm. around the conversation of suicide and which is part of the problem of why it keeps happening is because we're all afraid to talk about it and we yeah. really need to start talking about it to bring it into the light so that it doesn't have that control in the back of our head. Right. So that's one of the big things we focus on is, you know, listen, you can talk to me, you can talk to one of our therapists. You could, I don't care. You talk to your friend, talk to the guy on the bench at the bus station talk to anybody as mm-hmm. long as you could talk to someone about it because that helps. That, that's what helped, helped me the most was people that were willing to listen and, and let me talk. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was definitely helped me um, the most for that. But you're right about the stigma. Just, just recently um, Naomi Judd died and the daughters posted that it was because of mental illness. Now I read today that it was suicide. But they didn't. They didn't want to say that. I don't know the statement. That's, that's that's the one thing that I learned since losing McCoy is that mm-hmm. when it comes to the question, when it comes to asking someone, say, "Hey, you know someone that um, just for example, like you know their wife might be dying of cancer, right?" Mm-hmm. It's not out outside of the realm of norm to ask that individual, "Hey, listen, what you're going through is tough." And sometimes people that are going through this hard situation have thoughts of suicide. Are you having those thoughts? I just, let's, let's talk about it. People Mm -hmm. think that they're planting seeds, but they're not. They're Mm -hmm. actually diffusing the thought process, which short circuits it in a positive way. In that they, they now feel that someone can either relate to them or is willing to listen to their pain. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. My wife just had a con- that conversation with somebody and said, you have to ask the hard question because yeah. of what the person said, it sounded like that. And that's interesting. I never heard it put that way that you're actually diffusing it and you're not putting ideas in people's mind. Because um, when you think about it, one in five individuals show signs, right? Signs of, of, of risk. That means the other four... <laughs> 
don't show any signs. So mm-hmm. how do you get, how do you get to the root? How do you get to the problem? How do you yeah. know what's going on behind the smile? Right? Like we always say this, there's, there's a struggle behind the smile. Um, we have two different boot camp photos of McCoy. One is with a smile and one is without. And we sometimes reflect on those, like, listen, you don't know what's going on behind the smile. So in order to get there, you have to have a conversation. Yeah. And I, I had, I, Liam, he was going through some hard times and I had talked to him and it was, it's coming up next month, a week from today will be, it'll be three oh, years. I'm sorry. Three years. Yeah. A week from today. And I remember the, so the November of 2018, he was, he was venting to me. And one of the things he said is I understand why so many veterans, you know, check out and, and take their lives. So I, when he was finished venting, I said, I have to come back to what you said. And I asked him and he said, no, no, of course not. I'm not thinking that he goes, I just understand their frustration. And they feel, they feel like, they feel like some of them feel used. Some of them feel like mm-hmm. forsaken. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always say the bureaucracy is the fourth branch of government because there's so much of that. And that's mm-hmm. why that's why I love what you guys are doing. And we can talk a little bit about that, uh, how it came to be, um, yeah. the services that you provide. And has I, I believe this is helping you in your in your grief journey. Because yeah. we're not we're not it done. Is. You and I are talking, we're not done. We didn't move past it, right? We didn't move past it, but we are moving ahead the best we can. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, I I, I just want to jump back real quick to, I I think I skipped a portion of your question. So one of the things that that I knew we needed to do after was I had to, I knew that I needed to protect my daughter because the suicide report, repeat risk is higher in siblings when they lose a sibling uh, to suicide. So immediately I was looking for therapy, getting us, getting us connected with therapy, um, got us into a grief share uh, group, uh, which was a little too soon, but we started our journey into therapy very soon after. And I knew we needed to maintain that um, if we were going to survive Grief share, grief share was good. Grace, we had, we signed her up for Good Grief Camp. Oh, it yeah. got canceled. It got canceled because of COVID twice. <laughs> Grace, Grace sought out counseling. We got her some at school, and we constantly talked about it. Um, yeah. My wife, I was, and that's the other thing. Was it? I'm sure it was the same struggle. You being a dad and a husband you're grieving and yet you're looking out for everybody and you're, you're worried about everybody else. And those two things are in in tension with one another. Yeah. We kind of rallied around each other. I think for several months, several months, we didn't leave each other's side. We would always talk with each other to keep the communication open because what's interesting is though we lost McCoy at the same time, our grief journey is not in line with each other. So my daughter, Sienna might be, Sienna might be at a different place. She might be, you know, one of the stages and I might be at another and we're just 
button heads, right? Yes. And then PTSD and grief just spews out and then it gets real bad. So one thing we knew is we, 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 we dove into our, not into our faith heavy, but also we wanted to make sure that we gave each other grace. We wanted to give each other the room to go through whatever stage of grief they were in. So if it was, you need to sob and cry, okay, we're going to allow that. And the other two will pick up the pieces and, and, and it would, we would kind of like, I don't know, rotate, uh, who's caring for who, uh, because, because it's easy for a sibling and easy for, for our daughter to, to, to try to take the mantle of, she needs to lift us up and hold us up and be strong for us disregarding her own pain. And that's not okay. And so we, we didn't want them to have that type, have her have that burden. Everyone grieves differently and not on, there's no timeline to it. And so you had three people together, you know, going through all that. It was very similar. My my wife Carrie Ann actually she was so worried about me because she was she was Carrie was Liam's stepmom, and so the bond wasn't as strong. Liam didn't come into her life until he was ten or eleven, and then he moved away for a little bit, and then he came back into our lives. So the 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 bond wasn't as strong, but Carrie was heartbroken. However. She delayed her grief because she was so focused on me and Grace, our daughter, Grace. And I kept telling her, no, I'm, I'm going to go to groups. You should come to groups. I'm going to go get a grief counselor. You find your person. And she had family members. And, and But I, I really saw that it wasn't until over a year later that Carrie really, really, really grieved. She, mm. she just was on edge, worried about me. And when Grace and Carrie saw that I was okay, that I had I had really progressed and healed a lot, and I I give all glory to God for that. Yeah, you know my faith. I was a, a believer all those years, and when but when this happened, it wasn't like this. I'm mad at God thing. It was like, well, what no. if this isn't true? If this isn't true, I'm never going to see my son again. I'm yeah. never going to see him. And that's see that's see that's exact. I'm right there with you, man. You said it exactly. What's in my if I got to believe in something, I'm yeah. going to believe in the promise that I can see my son again. Yeah, and you yeah. know what? I'm going to do everything I need to do to get there. Yeah, it was out the window. Like my faith could not console me, and that was okay. Yeah. It came back stronger than ever. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe with all my heart because. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, right? Because to say that this world is so intricately designed that it came out of nothing, that takes a lot of faith. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that the promises, the promises of Jesus couldn't be any more clear of, right. of, you know, and Paul told us not to mourn without hope. So that came, that came back. And I think that was the deciding factor that really where I found healing or I found joy in living again, you know, you know, what's interesting. Um, it wasn't until probably, uh, man, I want to say six, five, six months ago, I got it. Uh, like 
<clears throat> I came to this realization that like one of my favorite books is Job mm-hmm. in the Bible, which is a terrible book, but it's it's a, it's my favorite book. Not terrible, but you know what I mean. I know terrible what I mean. thing happens yeah. in it. I I came to this realization that okay, I had to go through this through this mud. I had to be dragged through the mud for some reason, and I just don't understand it yet. But it's that's where you want me. That's where you want me. And that if that's what I had to go through, that's what I had to go through, like an acceptance almost on, on it. And and I never understood that statement in the Bible that says count it all joy, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see the joy yet, but I'm counting it as joy because mm-hmm. at some point it will be, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I had so I had a lot of folks tell me, well, you know, if Liam, because when when it's when someone takes their life, it complicates the grief because they're saying that they didn't want to be here. And then you wonder, like, was not my love good enough? There's a million things that go through your head. And folks would say, well, it was Liam's time to go home. If it wasn't that, it would have been something else. And that never made sense to me. And even like, think about, think about 911. Mm-hmm. You hear stories of the lady that she had a blister on her toe and stopped at the drugstore to get a Band-Aid and it delayed her just long enough where she wasn't in the tower. And then you think, well, what about other, what about the people that were in the tower? <laughs> That's what I think. I think, well, what? Yeah. So Liam, and then I, the, the, the men from X-22 Adventures attempted and their guns jammed. That's how Liam took his life with a, with a weapon. Mm. And I think, well, their guns jammed. Liam's didn't. And what kind of dawned on me is that when God does not intervene, he is saying, okay, it's your time to come home. That's kind mm. of the way it, it worked out That's in my mind. Because yeah. you hear stories of God intervening. You hear stories and and they both knew right away that as soon as the it, it jammed that well that was a mistake they knew right away mm-hmm. and then god got a hold of them and see what i happened. one thing that i've learned that i'd love to share with you is that um and maybe you know i don't know if it's 100 percent accurate or, but i feel it um is that when someone dies by suicide it's not it's not them wanting to die. They don't want to die. Mm-hmm. There's an inherent nature in us to want to live. Yes. <clears throat> right? So what we have to remind ourselves is that the individual is dealing with a lot of pain and they want the pain to stop. But more so that that pain or loss short circuits the brain's ability to cope with that issue and then tells the brain to tell the person that the only way out is death. So their brain is short-circuiting and their brain is telling them the only way out is death. But the individuals inherently don't want to die. That, that makes perfect sense because it is in our nature to live. Remember the guy that got caught in the rocks and he, he cut his arm off because he wanted to live there. Mm-hmm. A really close friend of mine, he said that when his his nephew took his life and he said, God, why did it have to be suicide? 
why did it have to be that? Why couldn't it be an accident or something like that? And shortly after that, a friend of his lost his son in a car accident. And he's heard this voice in his head say, why don't you go ask him if it feels better? Doesn't feel any better. Whoa, you know? That's yeah. yeah. Another person explained it to me this way. When her son took his life, she had to explain to her grandkids why the dad and she had a empty, she just happened to have an empty paper towel roll. And she said, when I look at you right now, I'm looking at you, I see you. But when I do this, I can't see you. And that's all I can see. It's like your dad went into this that's, tunnel. He didn't, he didn't see any of you, you know? And that is a, that is a wildly accurate description. And I know for my, I know for my son, Liam, he, the thief on the cross was one of his favorite Bible stories. And um, he, I, it's, it's kind of neat. I adopted Liam when he was an infant. His dad was, his mom died right away. And he was in the early intervention nursery until he was nine months. And I adopted him. Uh, my first wife and I adopted him. She passed of cancer. Liam, um, Liam's dad came back into his life. He was, I knew who he was. He was a bar brawler, a, a severe alcoholic, street fighter in our, in our city. Yeah. And the social worker says, don't dare tell <laughs> that you have this, you'll have this wild man showing up at your house. So we moved to Florida. Well, when Liam was 18, he decided he would try to find him and reach out. And he did through Facebook. He had come to know God. He had eight years of sobriety. So Liam wow. called me and said, oh, Bill, he got in touch with me. I said, well, how do you feel? And they they had a reunion and a reconciliation. It was really beautiful. Wow. And But it was soon after, 18 months later, he passed of cancer. Liam's, you know, biological died. Yeah. But when he talked about, he would talk about the thief on the cross, about all the people that, you know, are, are in paradise with, with God. And there's part of me that thinks that Liam didn't think like he's leaving me, but that I would follow him. You know, I would, I would see him another time because his, yeah. his faith in that was strong. But that's, and, and, you know, one of the things my therapist, which, which is not even a coincidence, my, the therapist that I ended up with turns out to be a pastor a previous mm -hmm. pastor. And so we get to talk about God in all of our sessions, which is awesome. Yeah. But he, he mentioned, um, he mentioned the, uh, how nothing can be snatched from God's hand. Right. So like when we accept and believe nothing can yeah. take us yeah. away. That's true. That, that, that's awesome. And that's when I got the morning of Liam's service, We'll talk about this later, but every year we do a big thing for veterans. It would yeah. be great if you can come set up your table and come down and spend some time in Florida. Yeah, if, if it um, works in the schedule. If things yeah. are getting crazy. But I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I, loved it. I saw the one um, little video of you guys driving back in, in the van. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, John, my grief counselors. He was a close friend of mine. He knew Liam since he was knee high. He was a Vietnam veteran okay. that was his, he was in the, the medic choppers that went into the hot zones and he, he saw a lot 
but the morning I got to the service, I was just on autopilot. You know, you're numb, you're in, still in shock, you're in this yep. pain that's just vibrating throughout your body. And he was, he had the little program that we had with Liam's Marine picture on it. But he was walking it over to the secretary. He wanted her to change it. And he was like adamant about it because um, he wanted the verse in it, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And for some reason that hit him between the eyes. And and like it, it was giving him such comfort that, you know, God has yeah. Liam. Jesus holds the keys of hell and death. Liam's with, with Jesus. He's with God. He, you know, God, we're God. I don't think we realize how dependent we are on God. He puts the breath in us, you know, it says in yeah. him, all things hold together. Scientists say that all the atoms and the molecules that they're, they're held together, but they don't know by what we know by what, but I, 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 I was kind of envious of John. I was like, Oh, I could see he's, this has really got a hold of him and he's really believing this. I wish I could believe it because my faith was really shaken. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, nothing seemed, nothing seemed real. Like everything's just nothing. And I, I'm proud to say, happy to say, happy to say that it's coming back. It came back stronger than ever. Did you ever read the book, Imagine Heaven? No, I haven't. Imagine Did Heaven? Book? I will check it out for sure. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. John Burke wrote this book. He was an atheist and he was at his dad's bedside when his dad was dying. And his dad had some other book about someone that had a near death experience and he read it and he thought, ah, and he has an engineer. He was an engineer. He yeah. said this stuff. And so he began, he, he interviewed over a thousand people that had the experience and he became a pastor. I mean, it changed his life. My wife's dad passed. My son-in-law gave gave her this book. And I looked at it. I said, oh, those near-death experiences. I have the Bible. I don't need any of that. And it sat on the shelf for almost 10 years. When Liam passed, I kind of felt this nudge to look at it. And it's amazing. It really is. I mean, it's the, the, uh, the neatest story was Dr. Mary Neal, who... It was revealed to her when she was when she was on the other side by the angels and Jesus that she, her son was gonna she would lose her son, he would die at a young age. So when she came back, she wanted to disprove it. She wanted to say this was a dream, a hallucination, because she didn't want that to be true. And she finally decided to write it down. And when she did, and sent it to the publisher, that same day her son passed. What a story, but it talks about it. This, this, it talks about what is in store for okay. us. And it really helped me. And I would, I would, you'll get excited yeah. when you read it because I don't, it think, I'll tell you, you don't have any idea what's in store for you and McCoy. You, don't have, <laughs> you guys, I mean, we're yeah. going to be, I don't know. Like <laughs> we love Star Wars, you know? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. If if George Lucas can imagine these other places, God can create them. He's the creator. We're made in his image. Who knows? Because the universe is still expanding. It's still yeah. expanding. Yep. So we have no idea. God is 
so creative and so and the other thing and then i'll be quiet and let you talk <laughs> the other thing is that if god really think about it if he think about all the pain we've been through and are still going through if he was to leave us in the dark about the worst thing that we face in life that would kind of be like a cruel joke like death no matter what is is separation it's 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 there's when my when my dad died uh, last january so it was about a year and a half almost two years after liam it yep. was easy because he was singing soon i'm gonna see the king he knew i said everything i wanted to but my sister had never really lost anyone close she called me the next day wailing when my dad died said i didn't know it was going to be this hard i didn't know it was going to be this painful and i just kind of shook my head but uh, yeah. god leave us in the dark if he was to leave us in the dark about all this and we're on our own that would be cruel yeah he didn't. The, 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 yeah. I mean, think about the gospel means good news what better news is there for us than that there's no better news not a right. million dollars not that you can hey when you get to heaven you can have your own planet that wouldn't even be seeing my son is the best news that's the good news right exactly yeah that's that's it yeah that's it so um tell me a little bit about yeah. well tell me a lot about how hicks strong came about and the hug mugs and all yeah so so hicks strong started very soon after we lost McCoy. I mean, uh, I got our nonprofit established in August, August 5th of uh, 2019. So it was only five, six months after losing McCoy um, with the intent to do something to help, to be, to help our, our military. Um, we have every reason to be mad and angry, but that doesn't solve problems and it doesn't help the individuals out there that need it. So we started Hick Strong. Um, actually, it started with a church group, our first church where McCoy brought us to. They invited my wife to go paint hot, paint pottery. Mm -hmm. So she went to that, started painting. She's like, oh, this is therapeutic. So we started going more and more. And um, we started painting mugs. We're like, we figured out like, how do we give hugs? How do we let our military know we love them, that they want them here tomorrow? So we were like, how do we make hugs? So we found these big, big 20-ounce mugs. Oh, I love huge, it. <laughs> huge mugs. They're all uniquely painted, hand-painted hand by volunteers, us and, and, and other volunteers. And we give them to military members to remind them that they're not alone. We give them information on how to get connected to our resources um, or crisis resources if they're in, in that state. Um, and just to remind them that they're loved and people care. And then soon after that, we brought on our director of mental health, who is a good friend of ours, highly qualified, and um, to start connecting military members with therapists via telehealth. So that, that because um, primarily we set it up for active duty initially because like our son was trying to get help and was denied it, we didn't want others to, to go through that process. So no matter where they are, they could get access to telehealth. And then we started out giving out like four sessions initially to each person. 
So in that first year, we helped five individuals with 38 sessions. And then the next year, 2020, so that was the same year we lost McCoy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in 2020, <clears throat> we helped uh, 23 individuals get care uh, with 144 sessions that we covered. Last year, we had 97 new requests come through for care, and we gave out 600 therapy sessions. Um, wow. Those therapy sessions cost us $75 a, a piece uh, mm -hmm. to cover. Um, and we're doing that by fundraising and raising funds. Um, now, we do support active duty, veteran, their families, any branch, any era, any discharge status. Essentially, you go on our site, fill out the therapy request form. Usually within 24 to 48 hours, it's usually like within an hour, uh, depending on if our director's in, in a session, mm -hmm. um, they'll get contacted to schedule an intake and they're in session within less than a week to two weeks. Uh, they're in care. That That is really good because right now, um, the last, in fact, the last person that I had on, Bob Jernigan's a mental health counselor, they're backed up three months. And there's a mental health crisis right now in the country. And mm -hmm. I think it was an article my wife read out loud to me. The person said that if counselors worked around the clock, they still wouldn't be able to, to cover the load. There's All a huge year. shortage. Huge so shortage. Yeah, so what you're doing is 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 priceless. And it, it it and what I like is the fast turnaround. Now here's here's one thing that we're doing different. Well, besides that, that's a huge one. But yeah. So <clears throat> our director makes sure that our the therapists that contract with us, they're all credentialed, they're all capable of handling the challenges of military issues. Um then we step in and we check their heart because mm -hmm. if, if a therapist is just there to collect a paycheck, they're not, they're not allowed on our team. If yeah. a therapist is there because they love military, they love an individual, they want to help that individual. We have a good radar for that. Um, so uh, we, we screen our, our therapists pretty, pretty well. Um, we have four therapists right now in contract. We have uh, two in New York, one in Pennsylvania, uh, a nutritionist in Pennsylvania, therapist in Massachusetts, and, and our directors in Florida. Um, oh, yeah. What part of Florida? Uh, she just moved. She lives on a boat with her fiance. Um, and I think she just moved down to the Keys. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. That's pretty good life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, so, you know, the ultimate goal is to cut through the red tape, right? To shorten the gap mm -hmm. between service member and um, therapist. Because the reality is status quo is not working. And so far, we've been able to sustain, you know, the growth that we had, have had and, and haven't had to um, turn anyone away as yeah. of yet um yeah the biggest biggest challenge we have is 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 funds um you know monthly donors would be huge to have to help uh even five dollars a month you know a latte a month uh 
would uh-huh. help save a military member's life. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's that's been the biggest struggle. The, the people are finding us, and I, I feel like we're, we're picking up those that are falling through the cracks and we're catching them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've helped over 160, uh, over 160 individuals since we started. Um, and we'll continue to, uh, yeah. as long as we can. Yeah. Now on your, on your website, I'm going to put it in the show notes. People can donate right from there, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Online donation. Yeah. Um, just make sure it's a uh, two S's cause yeah. Hicks. Yeah. Hicks is our last name. Yeah. And then strong is it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hicks strong. I'll put it, I'll put it in there. Um, the other thing, what other, you mentioned fundraisers, what kind of fundraising do you do? Yeah. So, um, we actually, we have a couple, we just did a comedy show for my wife's birthday, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, the whole month of March, we drove down the East coast on our East coast tour. Uh, we did Uh five fundraisers down the East coast. We Westchester, Pennsylvania, we did an ax throwing event, um, Virginia beach. Uh, we did a hug mug party, which is these guys here. So Uh people can sponsor, uh, painting a hug mug for $30 or depending on the region, it, it, it fluctuates because our costs go up depending on where we are, but it's roughly around $30. They come, they paint it, we give them all the supplies and they paint it specifically so that we can give it to a military member to yeah. remind them that they're not alone. So we do those parties as fundraisers. Um, and so we did that all the way down the East Coast, drove all the way back up and gave them out in Norfolk. Um, over 150 hug mugs. Yeah, that's great. Hey, the one thing I learned from watching a lot of military movies is coffee is important. Thing. I know. <laughs> it, you ask any sailor, this is an appropriate sized mug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for real. Well, that that's great. So besides the website, that's the best place for people to go, right? So we, yeah, we are on... Most most social medias, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok now, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Uh, and, you know, Google My Business page. But, uh, yeah, we're out there. Yeah. And what do you got lined up for, for the summer? For the summer, yeah, we have, we have, a, um, we have a car show. We have a large 64-team cornhole tournament. We have two golf tournaments, two ri- two rides, I think, coming, and another comedy show in October. Fantastic. That's and, fantastic. and we'll be down at the National Christian Counselors of America uh, conference in Sarasota um, in October to, to try to recruit some, uh, some Christian counselors. And then that's another thing we can put out word of mouth, you know. For, for Christian counselors. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I'll even pass it along to, to Bob and, and his, his organization, you know, to see. Yeah. Our, our motto, our, our, our mission is to save military lives, but our motto is together we're stronger. So mm-hmm. we know we can't do it alone and right. we know we're not a one-stop shop. So yeah. we want to work together with other organizations that it's mutually beneficial and that we can all grow together and help a larger audience. Yeah. It was three years, February for you. That's yes. still very new, still very raw. Yeah. Um, I, the, my, the best way I can describe it, uh, Bill, is that 
the um, I'm still at February 11th. You, you you get what I'm saying, but like February 11th is here. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's here. Yeah. But like, I feel like it's right here. It's three yeah. years, but I feel like I'm right here still. Yeah, I, I me too. There's days like the I I have a lot of joy, but it's this mix with this sadness. It's hard to describe to people, and mm-hmm. they'll look at me and think, you know, I'm fine. And God has me. He does have me. But there's days where you just, you hit this wall and you start sinking. I feel it. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like even this year, in the beginning when the holiday season started, I, I, I'm a real Christmas cheermeister. You know? yeah, <laughs> this I like year that. I finally thought, oh, you know, I'm excited this year. And, it, and then all of a sudden, like, I think it was Christmas Eve, I hit, I, I found myself. And I don't, I learned to, what I've learned to do is ride it out. I used to scare me that I'd go back. It's never going to, it's never going to be okay. But I just, I kind of sit with my feelings. Yeah. You know, the Native Americans called it sitting in the wound. And you just kind of mm-hmm. sit with them. God will comfort you. Yeah. And even that when Paul talks about the hope of eternal life, that's tricky for me sometimes because you have hope that you're going to see your son again. And sometimes, well, yeah, I'm going to see him again. And I expect him to walk through the door any minute and that's not going to happen. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I I feel that. Yeah. Well, I, I really, again, want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and the time of sharing together has been really good for me. It's been really um, part of the healing journey. I really am excited about what you guys are doing and I'm going to do as much as I can to get the word out and share with people what you're doing. Um, And we'll be in touch. I have your email and I'm going to put your websites and links into the show notes. Um, Anything else you want to share before we. I, I just want to say like, I guess in general to the general audience, be kind. Be kind to people. You don't know what's going on in their lives. It's easy to get frustrated with other people because we're people. But um, just remember that, you know, we don't know what's going on in someone's life. And um, so let's be kind and compassionate. Thank you again for listening and I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that Michael and his family are genuine and they want to help others and they have such a heart for our veterans. So I hope that you check out all their information in the show notes. There's an awesome video on their website that tells McCoy's story. You can meet the rest of the family and off of their webpage, you can donate a one-time gift. You can pledge to donate a little bit each month, but please consider donating. I can tell you 
from my conversation and interaction with Michael that he, they're genuine, that they are everything that you give is going towards helping other veterans. In McCoy's memory and in his honor. So thank you again for listening. And remember, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.